say, go ahead and start calling. No, no, phones don't count, Joe. <laughs> We're not going to do swordbills. I have fat fingers, so I always lock the swordbills. I call it, what is it? They're discriminating with large-handed people. So Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be in. And I wanna, I've titled the message or the study tonight, we're just going to walk through kind of the first chapter, all 21 verses. I've titled this tonight, Living in Babylon. You see, the world desires, it, it wants, it, it works towards, it, it, it has this need to conform us to its image. And yet we're commanded in the Bible to be conformed to the image of God while the world will attempt to change our demeanor, our physical traits, our outlook to fit what it deems good or acceptable. If you watch the news for any period of time, you see that the the world desires to change your attitude towards certain things. Um, Bias is in literally every form of media. It's no longer in one side or the other. It's It's in every form of media, and the world has a desire to change who we are, what we look like, and what we stand for. The story of Daniel that we're going to look at is a special one in the Old Testament. We don't know much about Daniel as a boy or much about his family or his upbringing, but what we do know is this, is Daniel, along with many other young Jewish men, were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylon Empire when they conquered Jerusalem. This is towards the end of the reign of the kings in the Bible. And this is towards the fall of the, they had two empires, the, the, the Jewish, the Israelites and the, and the people of Judah. And they had these two empires and they were split and God ended up conquering both. And they never fully reform after this point. And it's at this point in Daniel's life that he begins living in Babylon Babylon, if you look at it this way, has always been a picture of the world in the Bible. Babylon and Egypt are always kind of allegorically looked at as the world. It's a place of great sin. It's a place of hatred towards God and his people. And it's a place of reforming God's people out of the shape that God designed. So the question I'm proposing tonight is, what do we do when Babylon comes knocking? What's our reaction when the world comes at us and wants us to change or wants us to conform to their image or be different? So let's look at this. We're just going to walk through it. Number one, I have a three-point outline for you. So number one is Babylon prayed. Not praying, but P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. I have to do it for alliteration's sake. So Babylon praying. Look at verse one. In the third reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with part of the vessels of the house of God, and he carried into the land of of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure home of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding and science and such ha- as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily portion of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years 
that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave name, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, Hananiah of Shadrach, Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Ben-Nego. What we see here is Babylon conquering Jerusalem is a result of the sin of the nation of Israel. This, this ties into God's dealing with the nation of Israel through since the time of the judges. The nation of Israel would fall into idolatry and they would fall into this captivity of sin and God would bring along a conqueror. The same thing happened here. A myriad of, of terrible kings in Judah's past and Israel's past led them to a point where God said enough is enough. We're t- it's time for a clean slate. They had neglected God for so long and had worshipped other false gods. So in retaliation for the purpose of punishment, God allowed the heathen nation of Babylon to take them captive. If you look in history, Babylon was the vicious nation. They would have torn down the walls. They would have burned the temple down at this point. They took their treasures. It's here where many historians believe the Ark of the Covenant was taken out of the temple. I know as much as we like to think Indiana Jones found it, I don't, I think the Babylonians have it or had it and it's no longer in existence. But one of the Babylon, one of Babylon's favorite things to do was to take the young, strong, well-learned young men, leaders in the nation and make them eunuchs and force them to serve in the king's court. This horrendous method was to reduce the risk of rebellion, but also to break the spirit of the people. The men who would have led them are now mutilated, forced to the service of the king. You see, the devil is committed to seeing God's people suffer. He desires that each and every person who stands for God, he desires to see them fall and fail publicly. He desires violence against those that seek to honor God. 1 Peter 5, 8 gives the command, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, Satan is not some some special being that's sitting up there thinking, "Who am I going to test?" No, he is out for everyone, and he's up. He's he's against everyone who stands for God. He has no qualms about who you are or what you do or the color of your skin or your gender or your ethnicity. He doesn't care if you serve God; you're his enemy. But our job is to be sober and vigilant against his attacks. Satan will use the world to take down your defenses and get into your life. And he does it here, and here's how. Number one, the world will try to take our security. The world will take our security. Look at verse 1 again. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, which part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Picture this. Here's the picture. Jerusalem is leveled. The walls were taken down. And a lot of the stone, if you read, has been taken back to Babylon to build onto their city. Imagine you're some 18-year-old Jewish kid who has to now haul this piece of rock from the walls of Jerusalem back to build an altar to a false god. The humiliation involved. 
the temple here, the Temple of Solomon, this is the pinnacle of their worship. This is the most beautiful building on the planet. The temple was raised and its treasures were taken. The leaders and young men were taken back to Babylon, never to be seen again. The only people left were those that Babylon did not deem important or valuable. Babylon had taken the security of the people of Jerusalem. The world wants to see us fall. The Bible says, and we're going to look at this later, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. But the world desires to see us lose grip of what we're supposed to be. It wants to forget the thing, it wants us to forget the things that give us security. The world challenges our relationships, our religious beliefs, our commitment to God, and Satan will try to bring you down through doubt. Since day one, Satan's favorite tactic is to distort the words of God. Hath God said? Doubt is his most powerful weapon. Doubt of things like, did God really say that? Or does the Bible really say that? Or I don't think God will love me after I've messed up this much. Those are the lies we tell ourselves. But John 8.44 says this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, the only thing Satan can do is lie. The only thing Satan can do is lie. Whatever the lie is, Satan desires to see you fall. Babylon took everything that gave Jerusalem security and they were left helpless. Their walls around their city were leveled. Their their temple was burned. The Ark of the Covenant was taken. Their access to God, they felt, is gone. Their security is gone, but the world will also challenge your standard. Look at verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring, bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability. And them to stand in the king's palace, and, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily pro- provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. The world will challenge our standard. Daniel now found himself in a place that he did not know with people he did not believe the same way he that did not believe the same way he did. His entire life is now challenged and he needs to make a commitment to staying close to what God has desired him to do. The meat of the Babylonians would have defiled the Jewish standards God had set. The Babylonians were known to eat a lot of pork, but they'd also eat horses. I've never eaten a horse. I don't have a desire to eat a horse. But both animals would have, would have gone against their diet. The meat could also have been sacrificed to one of the false gods of the Babylonians. It's said in history that the Babylonians had more gods than any of the Greek or Romans ever did. And they would have sacrificed this meat to one of these deities, which would have also violated the Jewish standard. Either way, Daniel had a decision to make. Am I going to do what God says, or am I going to do what man says? The world has thrown around a lie that standards are legalistic. If I, I use that word standard, some people kind of get defensive about standards. There are places that are very legalistic. You have to do this to be right with God. 
And we're going to look at that a little bit more. And they, there are standards that are extra biblical and therefore not what God has planned. But, and I understand that standards can be a trigger word nowadays, but standards are biblical. God desires that we abstain from certain things and we live lives differently than the world around us. John 17, 14, I am given them thy word and the word hath hated them because they are not of the word, even as I am not, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, a famous passage, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Psalm 34, 13 says this, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from earth. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 is a simple verse. Abstain from all appearance of evil. God is extremely clear that there are things that we should do and things we shouldn't do. These aren't things that add or subtract from our salvation, but it's the better showcase Jesus Christ to the world. Satan in the world desires that we blend in with everyone else. It desires that we look, talk, act, and treat others exactly like everyone else would. This is, this is not biblical or helpful. In fact, it's anti-biblical. God desires that we be holy because in doing so, we can be more like Jesus. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope in the end for grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioned yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So we need to hold fast to those things that you know God desires you to do. Don't let the world challenge you on those things. We'll look at more standards here in a bit, but there are things in the Bible that are very plainly, clearly stated that we, do not, that we do not waver on. And there are some standards that we hold personally that someone else might not. That's where we show that thing called grace that we forgive. But the world will challenge our standards. Number three, the world will strip you of your identity. Look at verse six. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Strong Jewish names. You see some of those throughout Scripture. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. The last thing Babylon attempted to do to Daniel was to strip him of his identity. Renaming the captives was a psychological tool. It showed the Israelites that they were no longer part of the place where they came from. They were Babylonian and they would die that way. The world wants us to forget who we are. It would like us to blend in and stay the same. Satan likes to make new Christians feel insecure about being different. He says things like, you'll be weird. Your friends won't like you that way. God doesn't know what he's asking you to give up. These lies are in direct contrast to what God says. God says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. They're gone. Behold, all things are become new. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, we, we teach this verse to kids all the time, but we as adults need it more. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And as the little kid song goes, it's okay to be a little different. It's okay that the world sees us as a little different. That's never a bad thing. Satan would like to convince us that, hey, it's, it's, it's going to be weird. They're going to look at you a little strange. They're, they're, they're not going to treat you the same. But I want you to know it works. When I was working at the bank and we did a remodel, Joe did all the painting there, and I got to see Joe every day for uh, a few weeks, and it was awesome. But Joe would come over, and he'd be painting in our area, and I worked at the bank. I'm not talking like Stussy Goosey stuff. If you've ever been to a bank, it's not really good if you have attention deficit problems. But I'm sitting there, and we're talking, and we'll start talking about the Lord at work. And I'm not affecting my customers or anyone, but I've got coworkers listening in. I'm like, hey, there's something different about these guys. We'll share the gospel with one another. We'll talk to one another. We'll encourage one another. There's nothing wrong with that. If you've got a coworker that goes to your church, hey, that's awesome. Talk about the Lord with them. I go into Safeway. I see Missy, and we'll talk about church. We'll talk about whatever it is going on, and coworkers hear it, and it's great. There's nothing wrong with that, but you see, Babylon's praying led to, number two, Daniel's purposing. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why shouldn't he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me, in, make me endanger my head to the king. We see Daniel's desire to stay strong in the face of opposition. The Bible used the word purpose. To describe what Daniel was doing, Daniel purposed in his heart. This literally means that he had a steadfast determination. That word purpose means he had a steadfast determination. Daniel was determined to remain faithful to God even while captive in a strange land. Even when everyone else disobeyed him. You see that later on. There's only four of these men that actually follow the standard that God had set. Daniel and his friends were committed to what God said. You see, purposing creates steadfast belief. Purposing creates steadfast belief. Our beliefs are only as strong as our stance on them. That's why we need to study the Bible. You see, if there is something in your life that someone tries to challenge, be determined that their attack will not fail. It will fail. We have standards that are found in the Word of God. That's why we can back them up. There, if we look at standards, there's two types. There's biblical and then there's personal. These are my definitions. These are not something you're going to find in some book. This is something I made up. 
biblical and personal. Biblical standards are found in the word of God. Standards such as, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's a, that's a passage in the Bible. God cares about what we put in front of us, whether that's at a place, whether that's pornography on the internet, whether that's a, a movie, whatever it is. God cares, and God has commanded that we abstain from that. He also says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. See, church attendance is something that God has put into our lives to be a biblical standard. God desires and wants us to be here. But then there are personal standards that are applications from the Bible. Now, stay with me on this. Here's a standard that my family has. This is something my mom and my sister have. Modesty is important. So I'll always wear a skirt or a dress when I go to church. This is more for the ladies. Is it in the Bible that ladies have to wear skirts in church all the time? But that's my, that's my family standard. That was my mom's standard. My mom didn't go through church finding every lady who was wearing a pair of jeans and say, you're against the Bible because you're not doing what I do. See, there was a personal standard there. Here's another one. I get angry at sports, and this is not me. I don't get angry at sports. I, I could care less, but... I get angry at sports, so I will not watch sports unless I can remain calm. You've built a standard based around your personality. But you don't dictate what someone else does. You see, we need to be sure that we are showing grace in our personal standards, but we are steadfast in our biblical. The problem with a lot of churches nowadays, and you see this in a lot of places, is we've started to hold up standards above relationships. It's why I love my dad and I love this church so much. You know we don't have a dress code at our church? Did you guys know that? My dad has a desire for the people in leadership in certain areas that they will, they will dress a certain way or they will, they will do certain things. But we do not sit at the door making sure you're, hey, no shoes, no shirt, no service type thing. I don't, at least wear those kind of things and you're good. My uncle, my, my great uncle, my mom's uncle, was quoted saying that he was a missionary in Australia for 30 plus years. He was in the Perth area, which is kind of the western part of Australia, and he was in the outback a lot with a lot of the aborigines. And he had a pastor say, they getting some kids on the bus and whatnot, and kids might not be dressed accordingly. And he says, Pastor, Brother Carter, do you ever teach modesty here? And he said, Brother, we're just happy they come fully dressed. And that's our world. I don't care if you walk in wearing shorts and a t-shirt and it's 20 degrees outside. I question your sanity, but I'm glad you're in church. Because here's the thing. God can use the man or woman sitting in here in their work clothes just as effectively, if not more, than the person wearing a suit and tie. And I've seen it done. So we need to make sure our standards, our, the things we're believing in are built on what the Bible says. And purposing shows a godly demeanor. Look at verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Daniel's demeanor won the heart of the prince. His attitude was what God used to show the Babylonians that he was different and he could be treated differently. I reiterate the fact that being different in the world is not a bad thing. We can show people Jesus more effectively if we don't blend in with the rest of the world. 
how many times have you been working your job? I, I think I worked at Ackley Building Center uh, one summer when I was teaching school. Worked with a guy in there who cussed more than any other person I've ever known. Loved the guy. He was great to work with. But he always asked me, he's like, you don't cuss? Because I've never heard you cuss. I don't cuss because my mom works there too. Right? I have my own standards, but she's pretty good at hearing some stuff. And she was in charge of the paycheck, so I was super happy. But my parents instilled in me a standard that I'll not let those kind of things and exit my mouth. I, I, I got my mouth washed out for soap a couple times. Wasn't fun. I still can't. Yeah, that's no fun. It's expensive. <laughs> we had Olivia ratting on one of the brothers the other day. It was awesome. Not one that's in the room. You're good. They're upstairs. Don't tell them I said anything. But you see, my parents had instilled a standard with me that made me different as an adult in a public place. Chad has a testimony in our community of being someone who's honest that you can go to for work. People expect Chad to be Chad when you meet Chad at a job. You, you, know, you know Chad's going to be there. You know he's going to be honest. He's going to treat you respectfully. I've seen Chad call guys out for what they're saying in a public setting. Not out of being prideful or being arrogant, but because, hey, God doesn't want us to, hear, doesn't want us to say that. Now, do we all, are we all perfect every day? <laughs> no. That's where forgiveness comes in. But we have to have a standard that we've set. And we've got to honor God with our demeanor. But purposing also challenges the world's logic. We see Daniel's beliefs and demeanor challenge the logic of the prince here. He, he, he desire, Satan desires that the world sees us as weird or less than. But when we follow God, we can literally accomplish miracles. You see, it in secular logic, it make, makes no sense to give what our church gives to this building. To pay off $600,000 in a single year makes no logical sense to the world. But to God, it made perfect sense. It makes no sense to me included why we have to open our doors on Tuesday night for 80 plus little kids to come in and scream. But the 20 plus kids saved this year is why God's done that. As much as it can get exhausting or tiring to have to deal with some of the kids that are here and God's doing great works through them. You see, when we purpose in our heart to stand for the things that God stands for, we will challenge how the world thinks. So we see Babylon's praying. We see Daniel's purposing. And lastly, we see God's provision. Daniel now makes a decision and a request. He requests that the prince only give him two things. The Bible uses the word pulse here in a bit, water and pulse. Pulse is really just vegetables, beans, oat, or barley. It's like the basic nutrients you need. It's all the food I avoid on a daily basis. There's, there's no meat. Physically, this isn't the healthiest of diets to receive all the nutrients you might need. And the prince knew it. But we see Daniel here requests a 10-day test to see if they would be right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's only when we surrender our comforts and follow God's instructions that we can see God's power in our lives. God's provision comes from our sacrifice. Look at verse 11. We've got to be quick. I'm almost done. Then said Daniel to, uh, to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
Reprove thy servants, I beseech you, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked on before thee, and the countenance of the children of that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. You see, often following God requires us to sacrifice things. It requires us to sacrifice desires, addictions, even friends of our old life, hobbies. These are all things that God may ask us to give to him and move on from. But in doing so, we see his provision. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. So God's provision comes from our sacrifice. God's provision comes from following his instructions. Look at verse 14. So he consented to them this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children who did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. After we make those sacrifices for God, he will give us instructions to follow. The steps that were needed to move on from the mediocrity of the world into the provision and power of God. I'm pretty sure Daniel made a sacrifice here. How many of you guys would be that strong to see all your buddies around you eating steak and drinking all the good stuff? And then you're sitting there with beans and oatmeal. Some of you guys, if you like that, I apologize. But I'm sure that they probably had to help one another out. They probably had to pull each other back and remind one another why they're doing it. And God blessed abundantly. You see, Proverbs 16.20 says, And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Deuteronomy 39 says this, And and the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in the work of thine hand, and the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Do you realize that everything God asks you to give up, he has a greater replacement for it? Everything God asks you to give up, he has a greater replacement for it. So his provision comes from sacrifice. His provision comes from following instructions. And lastly, his power equips us to serve him. Look at verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days of the king had, that the king had said, he should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued under the first year of King Cyrus. The important part, that verse 21, we kind of overlook it as being the end. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Do you realize that every king that came in and conquered Babylon and took over, every replacement saw Daniel as valuable and kept him in his position? 
Daniel died as one of the high princes of Babylon. He, he served Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Belshazzar. He, he served all these different kings, all these wicked kings, but he was faithful in what God had called him to do. After Daniel made the sacrifice, after he followed God's instructions, we see the power of God in Daniel's life. God honors those that honor him. Second Sam, or 1 Samuel 2.30 says this, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. When Daniel made a commitment to God, God prepared to honor Daniel. And so this commitment as a young man, as a man who saw his security and his livelihood ripped away, that Daniel makes a commitment and God honors him. He, he lets him interpret d- dreams. He shuts lion's mouth. He makes fire completely useless against these men. And he saw tyrants come to God under Daniel's influence. You see, when we decide that following God is better and more important than anything else, Babylon becomes our mission field, not our capital. The world is no longer the sickness, but the victim. You see, when we allow God's power into our lives, God can use us for anything. So living in Babylon might be a little bit difficult for us someday. But as the song said tonight, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you for bringing everyone out safely tonight. Thank you for your provision in everything we do. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.